Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit, perhaps a little different approach than we often do. And you may think that um, I'm going to start meddling in politics, but really I'm not. I'm going to sound as if I am, but I'm not. My uh, focus this morning is not political, and I trust that will become evident as we proceed. But we will talk a little bit about events that are happening around us right now this morning. The subject this morning will be a house divided. We're very familiar with the passage of Scripture that this comes from in the Gospels, but I want to um, provide two different areas of scriptural thought to begin with. The first one is in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40, beginning in verse 40 and reading through to about verse 42. And this involves Martha and Mary. And Jesus comments to Martha. And let me read these to you. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So we can see this circumstance and situation playing out. And Martha is so busily involved and engaged in looking after things of a household nature. She's serving the people and guests and she's very busy. And what's Mary doing? Mary is listening to the presentation of the word. And Martha feels as if Mary should be helping her. Why is she not helping me? If I say something to the Lord, to the Master, he, he, you know, he will set this thing straight. And he'll tell Mary to come and help. Go, Mary, go help your sister. So she came to Jesus with this, and Jesus said to her, he said, and these are an endearing way of addressing Martha. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about Many things. You're preoccupied by many things. But there's one thing that is needful. There's one thing that's necessary. There's one thing that is a necessity. Now, you're troubled and about many things, but there's one thing that is an absolute necessity. And Mary has chosen that. Mary has chosen that good part that is an absolute necessity. And that will not be taken away from her. I'll not take that away from her. Because she's she has chosen something that is a necessity. What is that? That is a necessity. The thing that is a necessity that must be chosen by us, it cannot be imposed, it must be chosen, and that is that the truth as revealed by God. The truth revealed by God. It's the opening of the eyes. It's that which opens the eyes of the intelligence. I've observed this in my, in my time. I've observed this very carefully. And I see a very clear distinction in terms of, um, the scripture says, the entrance of thy word giveth or bringeth light. And inevitably, when a person comes to this place where they choose that essential thing, which is the word of God, 
the revelation of the Word of God. So obviously Jesus is the Word manifest in flesh. He is the Word incarnate. Therefore, therefore, as He proclaims the Word and teaches the Scriptures and unfolds the Scriptures and uses His parables and all the ways in which He taught, I mean, just think of what a magnificent presentation. There never could be a presentation of the Word to equal that. Never. Because He is the Word proclaiming the Word, if you like, which is Himself. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just marvelous. Something inside, something within Mary recognized the need for that. And she was drawn to that and satisfied within her spirit and soul by the word of God. And Jesus said that was the necessary uh, thing that is a necessity. The presentation of the word in this way opens the eyes of the intelligence and what it does, it opens the eyes of the moral intelligence I want to say this to you this morning, that real intelligence begins with spiritual intelligence. And the essence of spiritual intelligence has a moral ingredient, a strong moral ingredient to it. In other words, whenever the Word of God begins to be proclaimed to us, the Word of God addresses the, the, the moral part of our being. Always. Always. What is moral? And uh, the word convicts us if we are immoral in some way in our lives. Then that word will convict us of that immorality and call us to repent of that and call us back to a place of morality, moral right standing with God. And the place of moral right standing with God is the place of intelligence. It's where the intelligence of the human being is capable of begins to open up in an impartial, nonpartisan way. Very, very objective way. This is where bias and prejudice, everything like that just uh, dissipates and fades away. Because it's not possible for a human being to be prejudiced, partisan, biased, while they're being fed the Word of God in its pure purity. Not possible. But the Word of God will address the moral fabric of our lives first. This is the kind of thing Jesus was saying was absolutely necess- uh, necessary and needful. So having, uh, having said that, and he also, by saying that, was also saying that all these other things, Mary or Martha, that preoccupy you, not to say they're not important things, but in order to carry out those responsibilities as important as they may be, this one absolutely necessary thing, component, must be sought first. Then I come to Matthew chapter 12, and I'll begin at verse 22 and read through to 25. It says, one who, Then one who had uh, been demon-possessed was brought to, to Jesus. He was blind and dumb, and he healed him so much so that the blind and dumb both spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard, they said, This one does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And so they said, Jesus is casting out the demons because he is in association with the ruler of the demons. This is, this is what they said. Now, 
the rest of the text suggests to us that they said this in kind of a secretive way among themselves. Because it says, and Jesus knew their thoughts. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, is this kind of speech what we refer to as hyperbole or exaggerated speech? The answer is no. This is absolutely true. And he said, every house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, you know, and I know that a house, a household, a city, any kind of a government can tolerate a certain amount of opposition and division. There's a certain level that can be tolerated without endangering the survival of it. You can have disagreements even in your own household. How many households do not from time to time have something by way of disagreement? We may disagree on a lot of things sometimes or some things. But we cannot be divided equally all the time and survive. It can't happen. It will collapse. It will dissolve. It will not stand. And so a house divided will not stand. Our subject this morning, a house divided. Now the Pharisees, while they are saying and thinking these things, they are refusing the light of truth. Why? Because they are partisan. They are dedicated to their own religious beliefs and philosophy. And the partisan person tends to then accept and believe everything that tends to promote what they already think. And they tend to downgrade and denigrate and reject everything that would call that into question or that would require them to change their way of thinking in some way. They will resist and reject because they're partisan. And so by by its very nature, then, partisanship blinds. Partisanship is something that blinds the person stymies the intelligence, restricts the ability to see things the way they really are, because it refused, it, it prefers to see things in a preferred way. The Pharisees preferred to understand Jesus in a certain way, because to do otherwise would have required them to change in some way. They were unwilling to change in those ways that to recognize that he is the son of David, to recognize that as a fulfillment of prophecy, meaning he's the Messiah, would have required them then to change. They were unwilling to change. And so they had to come up with an explanation of how he was able to cast out these evil spirits and restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Oh, they said, this is what... See, they're using the intelligence they have in a way to promote their partisanship but it's a lying way. It's a dishonest way. They are dishonest. That's what they are. A partisan person, by the very nature of partisanship, is a person who is dishonest. Dishonest. And you see it. Whenever you look at a person that just is a party line, just harps the party line, they believe what the party wants them to believe, they They refuse whatever is uh, in opposition to that. They are dishonest. 
They are lying to themselves. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So partisanship blinds, it's the nature of it to blind, and it brings in what the Bible refers to oftentimes as willful ignorance, because this they were willfully ignorant of such and such, you see. And so in other words, they didn't understand something, not because they were incapable of understanding it, they didn't understand it because they refused to understand it. That's ignorance, but it's willful. Self-imposed ignorance. Jesus was prophesying and saying to them that he would say that there was coming a collapse of the Jewish nation. And they were too blind to see it. But the collapse of the Jewish nation would happen in several years from that, a few decades future. And it was a horrible event. As you read the historical material that we have about the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem, the temple and, and all, and, and the thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of deaths, it, 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 it is just horrible to contemplate. But all that was in the future. Now, the reason that the Pharisees were in this place they were in is because they refused the necessary part that Mary chose. That's the bringing these two passages together. The house that is divided. Why is it divided? It's divided because it refuses to receive that necessary part that Jesus said Mary received, which is the unfiltered word of God, where we bow before it and, and say, speak to me, Lord, by your word. Whatever your word says to me, I will obey and I will believe. I will lay aside my, preconcep- my preconceived ideas and I will lay aside my own preferences. I just want to know what the objective truth of your word is to me. And as you reveal that to me, I will receive it and accept it. That's the part that is absolutely essential that Mary chose. The Pharisees rejected it. I want to share a little bit this morning with you about uh, our neighbors. And while sharing this this morning, I want to pray for perhaps the most influential nation in the world, certainly the greatest military power in the world, the world's perhaps only superpower of the modern era. And I'm looking at the United States of America as I gaze from where I'm standing right now across this narrow river. I'm looking at Nebis Island. This is the United States of America, the state of Michigan, and I'm looking at it right now. Somebody might say, if they listen to our talk this morning, they might say, do you have any business talking about American politics or what's going on in America? And I say, yes, we do, for a number of different reasons. First, let me say that we're not only neighbors, we're family. <laughs> we are family. The majority of the families here this morning have... Um, family members born and raised in the United States of America. We have that present right here in the room this morning. Some of my own family members are from the United States of America. So we're not just neighbors, but we're also family. And 
The other part that is very important is that the United States of America right now are living out their division and partisanship that is occurring, but they're broadcasting that to the world for the world to see. It's impossible for us to ignore it. We would have to stick our heads into, a, into, into, into sand not to see it. So really by uh, implied um, consent, we are being asked to see because it is being presented to us nonstop. And we are very interested on a number of levels about what's happening to the largest superpower in the world. We are concerned about the influence of the United States of America. And we're very concerned by things that we see occurring there. And I want to share a little bit about this this morning, but doing so in a very prayerful way. I want to see the success of the nation in the world that is the most influential nation. Who would not want to see success? Who would want to see something that could even threaten the survival of the nation? Who would want to see that? Not their friends. And we are friends. And all this that's going on now is before a gazing world. I would say that and divide this into two parts. The whole world is looking on. This is not just those of us here looking on as neighbors and friends and family. But the whole world is gazing. I say gazing and looking on. And the friends are worried. Do you remember in September the 11th, 2001? How can you forget? You remember where you were and what you were doing. Remember how our hearts went out to our friends and neighbors, and we wrapped our arms collectively around our brothers and sisters in the United States of America. We even wrapped our arms around our own family members. We just, we just, everybody wanted to get close to the ones we loved. But the ones who were enemies of the United States of America, they celebrated, and they danced in the street. And what's happening now with this gazing stock that is occurring and I don't want to be unkind, but really it is a very embarrassing, uncomplimentary proceeding that is occurring now before the eyes of the world. It's unfortunate in many levels, but it's happening. And friends are worried and concerned, and the enemies are celebrating. And the enemies... Um, of the United States of America, which is the most powerful nation in the world and exerts the most significant influence in the world, hopefully for good. It has the heritage to exert influence for good in the world. And it still does to a tremendous degree. Let's not wash our hands. It's not ready to, you know, rinse the United States of America down the drain. Not yet, folks. No, no, no. I'm not saying yet, yet. It's a danger. But the enemies of the United States of America would be those nations in the world which are the most sinister, the most dangerous nations in the world. I'm talking about nations like North Korea. I'm talking about Iran. And the potential for Iran and like-minded nations to begin to assault within Israel. For example, I'm talking about China. China is a rising power. My own view is that we have more to concern ourselves with China than we do with Russia. Now, there may be many experts who would disagree with that. I'm just saying what my own view is right at this moment on that. I don't think either one are great friends right at the moment. But I'm very concerned about the rising China. 
What's happening with these kinds of displays that are being broadcast before the eyes of the world is that the enemies of the United States of America are losing their healthy fear and respect for the United States. You know, I know the way this works. I know exactly the way this works. Evil looks for that, uh, a situation that it can take advantage of. Evil has cowardice built into it. Evil is not brave, but evil will seek to exploit a weakness. And what's happening in the United States right now is broadcasting weakness, and it ought not to be. And so the enemies of the United States now are being emboldened. I'm going to say that this, what's happening now, this is not, ha- this is not benefiting the negotiations with North Korea. There's no way that it can. This is not benefiting the desires to have talks with Iran or negotiations with China. So the healthy fear that has always tended to be there, healthy fear of the power, the authority, and the moral right and the virtue of the United States of America, that is experiencing a kind of erosion. And the enemies are seeing that, and they're trying to exploit that and see it as weakness. So this is what I'm saying. This is a lot bigger than just one man or one woman or one circumstance. Let me offer you a what if. If the middle third is split on this, then you have an untenable situation. The middle third must not be split. Whatever comes out of this, the middle third must find it persuasive one way or the other way in order to prevent a split, 50-50 split. That's where the it comes in, cannot stand. So what if... It comes that way that she's credible and he's credible and there's uh, nobody, there's no clarity in terms of uh, partisanship on both sides and claims victory, but the middle part is like, we don't know what to believe, we don't know what to think. If the Senate goes ahead then with this very slender majority that it has now and confirms Judge Kavanaugh, then his name will live in infamy unless there's some information that's forthcoming in the future that vindicates him. So what happened? What would happen if the President of the United States, before being forced to, what would happen if he were to decide to withdraw the nomination? If after the hearings, everything is split and nobody knows what to believe, what would happen if the President of the United States were to withdraw the nomination? What would happen if he came to the television set and talked to the nation and said, we could, we have the votes, we could confirm Judge Kavanaugh, but I know we have a circumstance where the nation is divided, and we're divided on enough things right now. We're divided on too many things as it is. And so I have decided for the time being to withdraw Judge Kavanaugh's name and to withdraw his nomination for now. We're going to go to the midterms without having a Supreme Court justice to fill the vacancy. We're going to go ahead to the midterms. Let the United States of America, let the people, let the voters decide. Let them say, 
who they want to represent them going forward. Appeal to the middle third. Appeal to the middle third on these kinds of grounds. If you can't successfully appeal to the middle third now on these kinds of grounds, taking that kind of position, under what circumstances could you ever appeal successfully to the middle third? So go to the middle, go to the midterms, then after the midterms, nominate another person, another judge, for the position of, to the Supreme Court, and let the process continue. In the meantime, seek and search and investigate thoroughly for clarity on this uh, issue involving Judge Kavanaugh and Christine Ford. Take the time and search for it, but replace his name with another after the midterms. Allow Judge Kavanaugh to remain within the district court or the D.C. Court of Appeals for the time being. If vindicated, if his name is vindicated, in in subsequent investigation vindicates his name and shows that he has been unjustly treated in this whole process. If that happens, and if the middle third of the United States of America is convinced by that vindication, then when an opportunity comes up for replacing another Supreme Court, because if President Trump is in for eight years, he'll have more opportunities than this. And when another opening comes up in the Supreme Court, then bring back Judge Kavanaugh. Bring him back. If his name has been vindicated, bring him back. Bring him back later. And if his name has been vindicated and you bring him back later, he will be confirmed by the Senate in overwhelming fashion. There will be no taint to his name. And if the position of Chief Justice of the United States uh, Supreme Court comes up in the future, he may well be the one who's, nom- who's named as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. There'll be no taint. If, on the other hand, he's proven to have lied and misled in this proceeding, then he should be impeached. Not because of what he may have done when he was 17 years old, just on the face of that. But he would, he should be impeached for having lied to this public inquiry. If it is proven that he is misled. One more thing I want to share with you this morning before we close. Then we're going to come around to the, where we started again. If I had an opportunity to sit down with President Donald Trump, which I uh, do not know of any such opportunity, but if I had one, I would take it. I can guarantee you right now I would take it. I would even fly there. <laughs> you know how much I enjoy <laughs> I would you know how much I'd even enjoy flying. I would fly there. You say, why would you say anything like that? Because it's not about me, it's about what truth is. It's truth. I would go anywhere if I was convinced that what I had was the truth to share. Right? So would you. But not just our own opinions. What I'm looking for and what I want to see now, what I believe we need to see, we as friends and neighbors and family, what we need to see is the growth of a president. I want to see the growth of a president. 
That's what I want to see. We need to see the growth of a president. The world needs to see him grow. Golda Meir, a number of years ago, was credited with having said this. She said, peace will come to Israel, the Middle East. She said, peace will come when the Palestinians love their children more than they hate us. Peace will come when the Palestinians love their children more than they hate us. President Trump's success will come when his love for his country is greater than his desire to follow his own impulse. I'm going to say that again. It's true. President Trump's success, and I want him to be successful. But I don't want him to be successful. He can't be successful the way he is now. He can't. He may not even be able to win another election the way he is right at this moment. The very fact that he's there as President of the United States is is a phenomenon. No one can yet fully explain how that happened. But it happened for a reason. But he has to do his part in this. And he's not doing. He's doing some good things. But he's not growing up into the position. He needs to grow into this position. I say this prayerfully. See, this is, I'm not just talking. I'm praying when I'm saying these things. You know, we talk about dark days coming and so on and so forth. We see the, you know, the age that we're moving into and how dark. That doesn't mean that we want things to be dark. Because we're talking about a devastation that, that, that is horrible. We don't want that to happen, do we? We want to do everything we can to, 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 um, pray for success and the blessing of the Lord to be possible. So I'll say it one more time. President Trump's success will come when his love for his country. I believe he loves his country. His problem is not that he doesn't love his country. The problem is that he doesn't love his country more than he loves his own desire to follow his impulse. He's going to have to take this impulse. He's going to have to sacrifice it for the good of his country. And then he's going to have to prove this great IQ that he says he has. He maintains that he has this tremendous IQ and would be so happy to have an IQ test with anybody. Come on, let's have an IQ test. That's okay. Those are words. I don't want him to prove his IQ with an IQ test. I believe he has a great IQ. Nobody can do the things that he's done in his life without having a significant IQ. I want him to prove his IQ with wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Let wisdom prove your intelligent quotient. I want his spiritual IQ to improve. And if he has a significant IQ, I want his spiritual IQ to be commensurate with that. And could it be? Absolutely. Should it be? Absolutely. Has it been chosen for it to be that way? Yes. But he has to choose it. Like Mary has chosen that needful part, necessary part, essential part, and it will not be taken away from her. He must choose that part for himself 
and if so, it will not be taken away from him. That's all this hangs, really, on his shoulders. It rests on his shoulders. Well, that brings me to the end of my commentary with regards to our neighbors and friends and family. Now, I just want to close with this. How about you and me? Have you chosen that necessary part? Are you choosing that necessary part? May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord bless. And and may some of these things that we have shared together this morning, may they find fruitful uh, fulfillment in the ongoing circumstances that involve our neighbor to the south.